0: Peace and blessings. This is Muslims for Peace podcast. You have tuned into Muslims for Peace podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Allahu <laughs> Alaihi Washtar Allahu 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 Alaihi والصلاة والسلام على خير خلق ونور عرش أفضل الأنبياء والمرسلين حبيبنا وسيدنا وشفيعنا ومولانا أبي القاسم محمد، <تصفيق> اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آله التيبين الطاهرين المأثمين المظلومين أما بعد فقد قال الله سبحانه وتعالى في كتاب المجيد قوله الحق وهو أستق الصادقين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لقد كان لكم Ali My respected brothers and sisters, my respected scholars, brothers and sisters in Islam and in humanity, I greet you with the with the greetings of peace. I begin in Allah's name, the beneficent, the merciful, and all praise belongs to Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala the Almighty for granting us this existence and considering us worthy to represent him on this transient earth. And the objective that we have to fulfill while we exist on this earth is very simple and it's codified in the last revelation as has been sent consistently from Adam onwards, which is, You are the best in the community You promote good, you forbid evil, and you believe in God. And essentially, we as a human race have to agree unanimously that our objective in life is to be moral individuals. Because at the end of the day, it's not the mechanicals, it's not being the best scientist in the world, or one who is the best empiricist in the world, but one who understands the mission and the purpose of life. Because at the end of the day, I can possess all the knowledge of the universe, how every subatomic particle works in the universe, but if my if my morality, if my demeanor is repulsive, it becomes repulsive, regardless of how much wealth or power we possess. So we all unanimously agree, believer in Islam, or outside of the belief of religion of Islam, that a moral individual is the best individual. That's why Allah in the Quran says about the messenger, his last messenger, as all of them were, but particularly the messenger, Allah says, Indeed, you have the best moral conduct. And the messenger said, بُعِثْتُ Indeed, I was sent to perfect your moral traits. For at the end of the day, that is what we're discussing today. When we talk about unification, when we talk about peace, when we talk about respect for each other, when we talk about a, a human race, where Allah says, hold on to the rope of God together and do not create divisions among yourselves. Why is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that to us? Because the objective of our existence is precisely to be peace promoters on earth. Tawasa bilhaq wa You will notice that Islam as we know statistically, is the fastest growing religion in the world. And I don't say this because I'm a Muslim. Even the World Almanac shows that in 50 years from 1934 to 1984, the growth of Islam was 235 percent. The growth of humanity, the human population growth was 136 percent. And the growth of Christianity was 45 percent. Now what does that say? Well, today in the modern world, the xenophobes and the Islamophobes are speculating on this accusation that Islam is a religion that promotes violence. But you will notice it's is the only religion in the world that's named appropriately as a verb in a noun to imply submission and peace. Isn't it an irony that a religion... Whose name is appropriately placed, Al Yawma Lakum Dinakum, Wa Atsmamtu Ni'mati, Wa Al God places that name for us, that it is the only religion that's not named after a person or an object. I mean, think about it. If we're sagacious individuals in society, we would at least figure out how to name our religion to market it properly. Isn't it amazing? We are not Muhammadans. We are not Ahmadis. We are Muslims. And Allah says in the Quran, Inna the religion to God is Al Islam. He didn't say, Inna shia wa He says, Al Islam implying the submission. Now, at the apex, at the forefront of this great religion, which was completed 14 centuries ago, I wish to make a very important point here. Islam is not the youngest of the Abrahamic faiths. This is a concoction brought forth in a, in a chronological order which is not the correct statement. This is a misrepresentation of religion. And we as Muslims particularly, our obligation is to educate. Islam came with Adam alayhi salam. Islam came with the existence of the universe. So to Allah, there's only one religion. The religion was completed 14 centuries ago. It didn't start 14 centuries ago. And people say, well, among the Abrahamic, it's the youngest, it's not the youngest, it's the original, because the Quran emphatically states that all great prophets, all prophets, including the great ones, it says, Hanifan Musliman, they were upright, submissive, and the religion, Islam, was always with all the prophets. So when God completes the message, that when religion is completed, Allah puts that seal, final seal and says, now you will present it as Islam. Let's recite the Salawat ala Muhammad wa ala muhammad I'd like to present a moral argument today because I think at the end of the day, we are living in a scientific world today. There was a time when miracles were needed. There was a time when magic was needed. Today we live in a scientific world. And I believe nothing is more powerful in our existence and our rationality, in our ability to understand and to articulate our existence in a rational, systematic, scientific approach. And we agree that at the end of the day the scientific approach is that the moral argument is the most important argument in the world. If you study geopoliticians they will tell you that all the wars taking place today are aimed at ideological wars. This is an ideological war. Islam is being marginalized because of its growth patterns. Now I beg to ask, scientifically, why is Islam on the trajectory of growth? If it is proposed to be a terrorist, violent religion as we've been taught, that the messenger used to go attacking people or you know, beheading them if they did not submit to Islam, then either the human race is demented and masochistic, or there's something rational and real and pure at it that they have to smear it in order to curtail its growth. What is it? It's obvious. It doesn't take too much understanding to realize that the pristine nature of Haq, which is truth, and everybody agrees, Nothing is more supreme than the promotion of truth. And Allah says, Truth is ever prevalent and it supersedes all. And falsehood is ever vanishing. And I think statistically when we examine this, this is the power of Islam. But at the helm of this power lies the ultimate role model. That in Surah Al-Ahzab, the 33rd chapter, God says, Indeed, for you, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ You have the best role model. There is no one better as a role model than the Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uswatun أُسْوَةٌ Best. Why? Because scientifically speaking, no human being can reach their goals of elevation towards God and submission unless we submit towards good role models. Unless we take good role models as our guiding points, we will go astray. We are gregarious human beings, we're social beings. And we cannot escape that. That is why we say, logically, a man is known by the company he keeps. That if I have good company, even if I'm not so good, I will be considered good. And if I have bad company, even if I'm good, I will be considered bad. Why is that? Because the gregarious nature of humanity is for us to associate birds with the same feathers will flock together. These are rational conversations. Historically, my brothers and sisters, the prophets that were sent, every one of them was infallible and pure. Everyone that was sent did not make a single mistake. It's proof in the Quran that even when shaitan, iblis, fell from his grace. He says to Allah, By your authority, I am going to beguile them all. Except your purified ones, I can't touch them. Quran says, Fire does not touch them. Light upon light. God guides to this light. These are the prophets. Let us look at history. Let us read the Old Testament, let us read the New Testament, let us read some of these historical books that are being presented about the apparent confusions and mistakes of prophets. You know why those are prevalent? Because if you ever want to destroy the religion of God, all you need to do is destroy the role model. It's like in a battle. You want to defeat an enemy? Go get rid of the general. Corrupt him. Get into the heart of the religion and destroy it. You don't need to hit the periphery. Hit the heart. Hit the nucleus. Whereas Allah says, This messenger does not err, nor does he make mistakes. And these are not visions and ideas that pop into people's heads so that he's trembling when Jibreel comes. This is illogical. It's absurdly illogical and I'll prove it. Jesus, peace be upon him, was also an Ulul Azam prophet, a great prophet. He didn't tremble when his mother pointed to him for asha'arat How can we speak to a baby in a cradle? Huh? you find a prophet declaring his prophethood in the cradle. Where was the tremble? Where was the fear? Where was the confusion? Where was this idea that shaitan spoke to him? Where was this idea that he couldn't figure out whether God was talking to him or the devil was talking to him? And then it gives credence to people like Salman Rushdie who writes books called satanic verses as fictional satire to attack Islam in a very slick way. This is not the religion of God. The religion of God is a merciful religion. It's a religion that's built on dignified morality. That the Quran says, وَذْكُرْ فِي الْكِتَابِ Remember Musa. Hmm? Do you remember Zakaria how he submitted to Allah? Look at him. The Quran elevates every one of them and says... Do not dare put them down because they are the flag bearers of morality. For if you lose them, what guidance system do you have on this earth that you're going to fabricate and manipulate religion, the do's and the halal's and the haram's as we please? Because we can point a finger at the prophets and say, they couldn't get it straight. How does God expect me to get it straight on judgment day? You know why the messenger is being attacked? Because when it comes to tawhid, oneness of God, Islam is indomitable. The purity of the oneness of God cannot be challenged. It's rational, it's innate. That even if we do a scientific, methodical, deductive, logic, reasoning power, you see that the Wajibul wujud meaning the necessary existent, is an absolute necessity for the existence of the universe. And we know that if we remove this argument, we get the problem of infinite regression in logical arguments. We know that. And no atheist, no agnostic can de- dare challenge that position. Why not? Because it's rational. And Allah says, We are closer to you than your jugular vein. Who can deny? Which of my bounties will you be me for? I find that the attack on our prophets is strategically designed. It's designed in order to marginalize religion. Why? Because when we give up our moral positions, the greedy, capricious thieves on earth can then manipulate us and make us into slaves as we stand today. If you look at the corporatocracies today, the plutocracies that run the world, their goal is to eradicate The power of the moral front of God. And you look at in Islam, Allah forbids interest. If you want to see one instrument that destroys the value of everything, it's interest, riba. And you find the institutions of the world ruling the world today that has made us all slaves, 99% of us, has been through that instrument. And the last bastion that stands to shatter that face on is none other than Islam. And Allah says, He sent messengers with truth and guidance and it will supersede over all. So there is a battle taking place. You and I, my brothers and sisters, whether we are Muslims or none, we have an obligation as a human race to unite. For God has created us everyone unique. He has created us individuals that not even identical twins will agree on everything, though they are genetically identical. Why is that? It's because Allah says, You are from one soul, but you've been given this free will. Allah honors our free will. He protects our free will. He guides us. But ensures that we take our free will to our own destiny. Ya yo latina amanu, pu an fusakum wa ahlikum nara. Or you who believe, save yourselves and your family from that fire. Why is Allah saying that? Because Allah says, I honored you. We honored you, we gave you destiny. We gave you the power to decide your own destiny. But you are rational beings, Allah says. Don't you ponder that your role models need to be kept in position. For if you ever allow them to be attacked, you will be lost sheep. You will have no direction. We take our guidance from the Quran. We have hadith, plenty of hadith. There are good hadith and bad hadith. You have da'if hadith. You have mutawatir hadith. You have strong hadith, weak hadith. Single hadith. All variations. They're all wonderful. That's the evidence of the ijtihad, the human race, that the struggle we all place among ourselves to try to figure out what does God want from us. But at the end of the day, the Quran is the ultimate guide. This book, which does not waver, غَيْرَ ذِي Quran says, no crookedness in it. Try it. Challenge it. Put it together. Do you know the Quran is the only book on earth? Only revealed book on earth where God speaks exclusively from cover to cover. Every other revelation book, you find somebody is speaking on behalf of God. Can you imagine that? Subhanallah. It's the only book where even the messenger, أنفسهم, the messenger, the prophet, has greater right on the believers than the believers have upon themselves. But even then, the messenger is not allowed to speak in the Quran. Allah speaks. Say, 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 uh, why is Allah saying that? Because God said, this is my tongue. This is me, Kalamullah. I talk to you. No one talks when it comes to the Kitabullah. Our obligation as Muslims is to protect the dignity and the integrity of the Quran from that moral position. You notice why the Quran is fragmented? Very interesting. People ask, why is the Quran shifting story to story? One story ends, next story starts. Why don't you finish the story? Because we're typically used to chronological discussions. We're used to the idea that, you know, once upon a time there was, and it's supposed to end with, and they lived happily ever after. And in between, all these chronological events are supposed to take place. And you find the Bible especially has that chronology. But the Qur'an is the only book in the world that violates that conspicuously. Why? Because the Qur'an is not a storybook. It is not a book to impress us in science. It is not a book of revelations of the secrets of science. Sure, there are 600 plus verses in the Quran about science. Sure, there are many verses in the Quran about history and the past events. And there's a the whole story of Yusuf, Joseph, peace be upon him, as a great prophet, what happened about his life. But the Quran does not purport itself to bring about any of these arguments forward. Why not? Because, Indeed, this book is that which guides you to that which is most upright. What is the upright? A story? So that I can take a historical event and dissect what size the donkey was when the Prophet rode him? No, we're not interested in that. We're not interested how much was the Prophet trembling. We're not interested in that. As much as we may dissect experiences, it's the moral argument that needs to come forward. If it violates the core moral principles, we're back to square one, and this all becomes an exercise in futility. What good does it do for us? Tell me. We find theologians splitting hair about details. At the end of the day, what's the point? Even the Quran makes that very clear, that people say there were so many in the cave and the dog was the, the you know, four and the fifth was the dog, six and the seventh. Quran says, none of your business, you don't need to know. Why? Because it's not going to have a moral implication upon you. Whether there were six, seven, eight, ten, twenty in the cave, and one was the dog, it's irrelevant. The relevancy of the Quran is, what did you derive morally to promote good and forbid evil, and to believe in God? That's the objective. So, it's funny, when I look at theological discussions and philosophical discussions, about hair-spitting arguments only to confuse us. The Quran says, Among mankind there are those who create frivolous talk to take us astray from the path of God. So I am saying this to us as a human race, that as much as these discussions are essential, we must never lose focus on the integrity factor It's like if I'm going in business with someone, I don't have to go to school to figure out human behavior. That if someone lies to me, I don't need to get a PhD to understand what a lie is. Why not? Because my innate nature is sufficient to dissect that reality and to give me the guidance that I need. And if someone is not consistently speaking in a consistent manner, then I will shed doubt on that individual. It's human nature. Well, God is asking us that same question about how we present ourselves to religion. Why is it that we make mockery of the religion of God by taking his representatives and slicing him various ways to only consider ourselves to be doctors of religion like Jesus was atta- attacking them too, by saying, you've become masters. In manna dunin nas. You claim you're chosen. Why? Oh, we are doctors of religion. What doctors? Basic question God is asking. What happened to your integrity factor? When the messenger was born 40 years prior to his public declaration, he was already a prophet. It's nothing new. Read the old scriptures. We even know from Hindu scriptures the coming of this great personality. You know why the Jews were known to be in Medina historically? Because their scriptures had already mentioned that. That they will be the Messiah who will come in Medina. So they already knew that. Now imagine the whole world knows. Even the lay knows. But the Prophet himself doesn't know he's a Prophet. Does that make sense? Honestly. And then the irony of all is that for 40 years, he is so dignified with integrity that if a person did not know he's a Prophet, it's impossible to have that integrity. Impossible. That even as a young child, when he's traveling with his grandfather, you find that a Christian monk recognizes him. He says, That's a great, that's the next prophet coming. Now, how did this one know, but the prophet didn't know? Is that a bit shady? Hmm? So, you know what's profound about the Holy Prophet? You know how he declared his prophethood in public? You know, there were two phases to his declaration. First, God commanded him to warn his near ones. He did not declare it to the public first. He declared it to his family first, his near ones. Only his near ones. There's a reason for that. As my respected Sheikh Kabani mentioned about the love of Ahl al-Bayt, this five very, very chosen personalities play a pivotal role in the distribution and the protection. As the Prophet says, Whoever wants this city come through this gate. What's the point? Here's the point. He declares it to his family and he asks them, who is going to be my helper, my successor? So this idea of not appointing a successor is false. In fact, If the messenger of God does not appoint a successor, which some have stipulated the argument that hence it has caused all this division in Islam, I would argue that such a prophet is not worthy of following. He is an outright failure. Because if he could not fix the very outcome of his message, then what good is a prophet? What did he come to do? Did he come to impress me? No. Absolutely not. But let's look at the second part. The messenger of God, when he declares, when Allah says, "Ya yulmut dathir unthur all you rat one go and tell the world now you are a prophet. You find he stands on a mountain known as Abu Qubays, which today unfortunately has been blown away, and a palace has been placed on it. The messenger asks the people, "If I tell you there is a caravan behind this mountain, will you believe me?" And who was present? the kuffar mushrikeen, including Abu Jahal and Abu Lahab were present there. And he said, and they said, Bilashak, no, no. doubt, antasadaful Ameen, you are honest, truthful. this is not fluke. This is not accidental. This is complicated. This is highly positioned. Just like Jesus was highly positioned. Allah positions his representatives carefully he guides then he says then I bear witness there is no God but one and I am his messenger a bombshell why? because they couldn't retract done deal you have never lied you have never spoken a lie you have never violated your promise your, your integrity stands this is the religion called Islam a religion that stands on integrity, not something that's haphazardly concocted with some ideas and fairy tales because somebody thought about it and then placing individuals who are supposed to represent Islam that were never appointed by God in order to hold the banner of religion as my respected sister Leslie Hazelton mentioned about Paul. You find Paul who represents Christendom today was not appointed by God. In fact, he killed Christians before he became that. Now, I'm not belittling Christianity. I'm asking us all as a human race, regardless of what religion, that we must purify our system in order to promote peace and tranquility on Earth and not to accept at the helm of leadership Anyone who lacks integrity, for if our leadership lacks integrity, our entire system lacks integrity. Salawatullah Muhammad. I'd like to conclude, my time is almost up. But I'd like to say, let's look at some historians. And by the way, you will notice the person who's most attacked in Islam is the Holy Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa, wa sallam. percent Why? Because he is the flag bearer of religion. He is, as we say, Quranan, not it. The talking, walking, living Quran. And by the way, when Jibreel came on the cave of Hira, I know this story that's been related even with our respected sister is a common story. Unfortunately, it's perpetuated commonly, which, which is actually, in my opinion, very suspicious. And in so many ways, it lacks credibility with due respect. And I'll say it for the following reasons. Do you notice that he says, Ma'ana biqari, He says, Ma'ana biqari, what should I recite? Like my respected Sheikh elegantly, beautifully stated that yes, I can recite, what do you want? I can. But the Quran says, أنزلْنَاهُ في لَيْلَةِ الْقَدْرِ Now, notice. Anzalnahu is complete. Not Tanzeel. Anzalnaahu It's complete. The entire Quran was revealed into the heart of the Prophet on the night of Qadr. When this event of Hira took place, it was not in the month of Ramadan. Hmm. So then what was the Prophet being told to recite? He was being told to recite what he already knows. It's already in his heart. Because the Quran is in his heart. He is... The Quran. He is the talking, walking, living, thinking Quran. He never contradicts one iota of his movement against the Quran. We Muslims believe the Quran is an infallible book. Therefore, we have to conclude that the Holy Prophet is an infallible human being. Otherwise, it's absurdly illogical. Now, 27th of Rajab. We hear the story, this is common, narrated. That he says, I don't know what to read. So Jibreel chokes him. I know whoever wrote that was having fun with it. Because when you ask somebody to recite something, you don't choke them. Because when you choke them, then they can't recite. So he squeezed him. What do you squeeze? Words out of him? Look at the absurdity of this argument. That we try to And unfortunately, this exists not only in Islam, in Christianity, in Judaism. You read stories of some of these prophets, believe me, even if you and I are half-hearted most religious people, we would not do the things they did. Lot sleeping with his daughters, David getting rid of Uriah so that he can marry Bathsheba, and he has relations with her before he marries her, and gets rid of her, and guess who's born? Suleiman the great prophet Solomon. Can you imagine if somebody's gonna come and give me the template of morality under these conditions? I would rather be an agnostic on an atheist because it's logical, it makes more sense. And I say, many times I've seen atheists and, and agnostics, I said, my hat's off to you, I know why you're there. And my hat's off to you because I can see why you're there. And you know what? If I didn't have Islam, I'd be with you because it's the only logical thing. So you find he's supposedly choked. Then he runs. He doesn't know. He's perplexed. I don't know. if The devil spoke to me, really. He had such doubt. Subhanallah, amazing. And then suddenly he's calmed by his wife. Hmm? Then Waraqah bin Nawfal, as you know, was the uncle of Khadija. She, he consoles. It. Don't worry. God's talking to you. Oh, thank God. These actions creep into all historical books precisely to marginalize our representatives. And I believe that if the purity of these prophetic individuals is not maintained, you and I should not bother with religion. We are wasting our time because experiences and traditions have no meaning if there is no guidance and guiding light because without guidance, this world is a dark, terrible place to live and certainly it is not. You and I know, even agnostics and atheists know, the world is rich with guidance, rich with empirical observations, rich with potentials, rich with, le- with living a very blissful, happy life. So let's not deny ourselves that when we examine even a bee who knows how to fly in a pattern in order to talk to another bee, and that same insect knows which plant to pollinate and to get out in which way and to get in which way, that God will not guide us on these conditions? Impossible. Salawat Muhammad wa I'd like to make a few quick comments and then I'm gonna end. I apologize if I'm taking a few extra minutes, but let's look at some orientalists, what they say about the prophet. Look at what the messenger is. Today, Muhammad is the number one name in the world. In UK, the, the number one name given to children born in the United Kingdom. United Kingdom, you know what United Kingdom is? George Galloway says, the sun never sets for the British Empire because God doesn't trust them in the dark. <laughs> because they're colonialists, they are debauchers and killers. Right? Good people there too, but you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about their expansionism on earth today that is, is causing a lot of this chaos on earth too. You find the number one name given in the UK is Muhammad. Allah in the Quran says, that this we expanded for you your chest and placed a heavy burden for you. And we elevated your name. The earth rotates 24 hours in a day. The Adhan, Allahu Akbar, Shadu anna Muhammad Rasul, starts in Indonesia. And 24 hours a day, if you do the five daily prayers, you'll find Ashadu anna Muhammad Rasul does not cease to be recited. Salawat. Allah. Didn't God say, No, nah, she'll be basking this says, Oh great, look Muhammad is growing, the name Muhammad is growing. To me, studying this empirically, why would his name grow when he's the most marginalized individual? In school, we're taught that he's the one who went and cut people's heads off. When he was exactly the opposite, the embodiment of peace. Why is he being attacked? Very simple, get him. Because shaitan says, if we don't get this one, (laughs) he loses. That's why he's being attacked. Now let's look at what orientalists have to say. Some profound statements. Delecy O'Leary in Islam at the Crossroads in 1923 writes the following, just very brief and then I will conclude shortly. History makes it clear, however, that the legend of fanatical Muslims sweeping through the world and forcing Islam at the point of the sword upon conquered races is one of the most fantastically absurd myths that historians have ever repeated. Hmm. Karen Armstrong. In a recent book she's written, she says, if we are to do better in the 21st Christian century, Western people must learn to understand the Muslims whom they share the planet. They must learn to respect and appreciate their faith, their needs, their anger, and their aspirations. And there is no better place to start this essential process than with a more accurate knowledge of the life of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him and his family, whose special genius and wisdom can illuminate these dark and frightening times. How profound, isn't it? The, great, the greatest success this, this is by the way um, Gibbon makes that it says, the greatest success of Muhammad's life was affected by sheer moral force. My brothers and sisters, we must be careful. We must guard our moral force. If the moral fabric is sheared and tampered with we have no religion. We have no guidance. Alphonse de Lamartine he says, Never has a man set for himself voluntarily or involuntarily a more sublime aim, since this aim was superhuman, to subvert superstitions. This prophet was not a man of superstitions. He was calculated. He knew his position. There was not a moment in his life, although some historians may say otherwise, where he ever doubted his position, even in the first battle where he defended Islam. He was so confident that people were mesmerized just by seeing his confidence. Because at the end of the day, leadership requires confidence. He says, which had been imposed between man and his creator to render God unto man and man unto God, to restore the rational and sacred idea of divinity amidst the chaos of the material and disfigured gods of idolatry then existing. You know why we need God? God doesn't need us. Why do we need him? We need him because he is our moral guide. All good comes from him. God is the absolute good. And hence, belief in God implies submission to the absolute good, which means we hopefully will become very good. Two last points I want to say. Uh, Michael H. Hart, as you know, he's written the 100 most influential people in the history of the human race. He wrote two editions, and he was actually vilified for having chosen the number one in the position as the Holy Prophet ﷺ. So in his second edition, he says, My choice of Muhammad to lead the list of the world's most influential persons may surprise some readers and may be questioned by others, but he was the only man in history who was supremely successful on both the secular and religious level. We didn't send you but as a mercy for all. It is probable that the relative influence of Muhammad and Islam has been larger than the combined influence of Jesus, Christ, peace be upon him, St. Paul on Christianity. Now, as these two combined, it is this unparalleled combination of secular and religious influence which I feel entitles Muhammad to be considered the most influential single figure in human history. SubhanAllah. What's beautiful is we as human race have been blessed with bridges. If we're talking to Jews, then Moses is our bridge. If we're talking to Christians, then Jesus is our bridge. If we're talking to atheists, then our humanity is our bridge and morality is our bridge. Because you know, by the way, science cannot dictate nor adjudicate any moral arguments science is bereft of ability to pass judgment at the moral level why because the empirical tools do not allow it to pass any philosophical moral judgments an empiricist is simply an observer not one who spins value to it and therefore we are all left to wonder that if the tools of science are only available to us and if we limit ourselves only to the tools of science, then what do we do about our morals? Do we fabricate it on our own? Do we have a 51% vote and we have relative morality? Then Hitler was correct because the majority of his population considered the Aryan race to be supreme and therefore what he did doesn't become bad? No. There is something higher to us all, which is divine law that has to come in a prescribed form with prescribed individuals, with chosen individuals. Individuals who come strategically and to come in place to us the moral argument. When I speak to my Christian brethren, I said my suggestion to you, follow Jesus, live like him, die like him. From the point of die, meaning what? Promote the good, forbid the evil. Be submissive. Jesus says, why callest thou me good? There is none good but that which sent me. I of my own free will can do nothing, he says. Let us be like Jesus. Moses, Musa was like that. Abraham was like that. Quran says, look at their message. Hanifan, Musliman, all upright. Follow them. They are your moral guides. So I conclude, my respected brothers and sisters, let us unite. Unity. Allah says, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ إخوة. This is now, I'm addressing between our Muslim brethren. إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ إخوة فَأَصْلِهُ بَيْنَ أَخَوَيْكُمْ اللَّهِ تُرْحَمُونَ There's a condition of rahmah, meaning the mercy of God is conditional. Though we have received the initial mercy, God says, if you exercise your limited free will, you will continue to reap more mercy. Apply this, Allah says, O oh you who are believers, you are brethren. Brother, and ikhwa is uniquely used here for the believers. Make peace between your brethren. Be God conscious so that more mercy comes. Believe me, if we as a human race, Muslims, today I believe there are 2 billion Muslims on earth. The population is 7 billion. For certain, we're at least 1.8 to 2 billion. It cannot be 1.3, 1.4, 1.5. These are common terms used. Certainly impossible. At the rate of growth, even by the World Almanac, you'd say 1.8 to 2 billion Muslims. We're divided into various schools of thought. Beautiful. That's the variety and spice to life to approach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And to have a dialogue. And to respect and honor each other. And say at the end of the day, Allah is between us. The Prophet is with us. The Kaaba is ours. The Quran is ours. The Qibla is ours. The Salah is ours. The direction is ours. Should we not be united? Look what's happening in the world today. A million Muslims have been killed in Iraq. Why? They're insects. They're dirt. They're useless. They're trash. So for a few thousand that died at 9-11, which was a tragedy. And whoever has done 9-11, inshallah, God will destroy them too. But is it a good equation to say, when 3,000 die, a million should die? Who dictates such equations? By what standard are these equations dictated? Who are we? Third class, chopped liver on earth? Hmm? We're educated. We're the scions of science. Modern science today sits on the bedrock of Muslims having given this science. Today, when you look at computer science, algorithms was introduced by Al-Khwarizmi, When we talk about instruments and scientific powers, you find Muslims were leading the pack, but we gave up the baton. We dropped it. The enemy didn't take it from us. We dropped it. We are the ones who have done a disservice to ourselves as a Muslim race. And I point the finger first at myself. And shame on us as a believing group, to have, to have caused divisions and looked against each other to divide us and to drop the baton, only to find ourselves as third-class citizens. That our innocent lives, Muslim and Christian and Jew and Atheist and Agnostic and Hindus are being butchered as we speak today mercilessly because a few have reached up there thinking that they can destroy us. We must stop it. Allah says, "Inna Allah la ma ma need God doesn't change the affairs of a community until the community changes themselves first. My final message, my brothers and sisters, please, within Islam, let's unite. Do not allow divisions. Do not allow damnations and cursing between each other. Haram. Believe me, this is not the Sunnah of Rasul. This is not the Sunnah of Al Bayt. Ahl bayt never did this. This idea of pointing fingers and bashing people is not within the prescription called Islam, which means peace and submission. This is a violation, hands down. And we must hold hands together, Muslim and non-Muslim, and face the enemy head on and bring them down so that we bring justice and equity. May God bless you all. Bismillah ar rahim Allahumma Assalamu rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you.